Last week, we looked at the first lesson in God's plan for his local church. Why the local church? Where did the local church come from? And so I thought that uh, with having an extra Sunday uh, today that we would look at why is the local church important? And there are several reasons why I believe, and this is not an exhaustive list, nor is it in any specific order. I think that the points that are on here, though, are very profitable, or that you will find are profitable. And I think that it's important. We're going to pray in just a moment. But I believe that uh, there are many Christians who are members of churches who just don't see the importance of attending. There are people who are members who don't see the importance of loving the church or supporting the church. Some people want to put in their $5 or their $10 and think that they're good. Some people never want to serve. They always want to take, 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 take instead of actually giving. For example, one of the things that I like when we have our potluck dinners, we have our potluck dinners downstairs and just about everybody brings something. Not everybody does, but a lot of people do bring stuff. And I think that's the way it should be. We shouldn't be coming to church if the only thing that we get out of it is what blesses us, not blessing other people. Amen? Amen. Some don't believe their church is important, while others do not know why the local church is important. And every Christian should know and understand why the local church is important. Father, this morning as we look at the importance of the local church There are many who should be here today and they are not. There are some who can't be here because of being sick or maybe because of travel, but there are many who are not just attenders, but some who are members and who yet fail to show up. I pray, Lord, that you would convict their hearts and help them to see when we join a church, we actually are giving a commitment to be involved in all of the local ministries, not just a Sunday morning between 11 and 12.15. It's not just an encouragement to the pastor, it's an encouragement to the other brothers and sisters. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase our love for you and in so doing that our love for your church, for your bride will increase as well. I pray for those who are working today. We think of Brother Jeff and And for those who are sick, Dad's still in the hospital. Brother John reached out to me this morning, him and Sister Mary. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with each of them and bring healing. Thank you for hearing from Brother Jeff that he's doing a lot better and that the rehab is going well. Encourage him in his work. And I pray, Lord, that maybe the schedule would change here before long and that he would be able to come. We certainly miss him when he's gone. And the others who are normally here as well. So may your will be done in our lives and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody was commenting this morning and uh, I was involved in a conversation. And in that conversation, they said something very interesting. Somebody first made the comment and they said, it is interesting that there are a lot of churches that are shallow in their theology. I mean, sadly, that's 
par for the course. I mean, there are a lot of churches that wouldn't know that wouldn't know how to spell the word doctrine, much less know what doctrine even means. And doctrine simply means teaching. And then somebody else came on and they made a comment and they said, and I was getting ready to fire off a comment about that. And they said, well, actually, you know, one of the things that we're actually finding is not that people ha have no theology at all, especially in American or Western churches. The problem is that they have little to no discernment. And that really works. I, I mean, it, you've got a lot of pastors or teachers who are standing on a Sunday and they are, they are seeking to minister, but they're not ministering the word of God. They're ministering their opinions. They're not encouraging the, the, the growth within the congregation. And really all they're seeking to do is build their own kingdom. I think about our brothers and sisters, some of whom we have prayed for, for for several years now, for the last few years, who are who are behind certain parts of the world where you and I normally would not be allowed to go. And I think about the fact that every Sunday, faithfully, there may be 8, 10, 12, 15 of them and meeting every Sunday, meeting throughout the week, fellowshipping together with one another, being there when everything is going pear-shaped. And the reason is because I think that having, having had the privilege of being in several countries around the world, uh, I believe that, that apart from places like England or Western Europe, uh, I think that many times the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a much sweeter appearance. It has a much sweeter time of fellowship. It, it, it has a deeper understanding. Uh, for, for, many, for many countries around the world, the church is all they have. I can remember when we were in the when we were in and around the military. Uh, those folks, I mean, if you had a service every day of the week, most of the people in the congregation would be there every single day. That's just because that they didn't have any other family. That was all the family that they had. And think about what we've got here. We've got Monday night for the ladies. We've got Thursday night for the men. We've got uh, 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 for those of you who don't know that there are some who come here for the worship. Uh, and preparing for worship on a Sunday, and they're normally here on a Saturday or a Friday, as well as on a Wednesday. And then, of course, there's there's preparation time, and there are people who are coming and going throughout the week. And then if we have services on a Sunday. We have the prayer time starting at 9.30, and then 10 o'clock Sunday Bible class, and then Sunday morning, and then Sunday evening. And everybody's still standing around for an hour after service. You know, that is a church that exemplifies the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that is a church that reflects the fact that fellowship is important. Now, I feel sorry for those who, as soon as service, now, now I realize that some people, if they're not feeling well or if they're sick or whatever, but, but there are some people who, as soon as service is over, man, they got to make a beeline to the parking lot as though we've got all got cooties or something. I mean, that's a, that's a sad commentary, not on us as a church, but on you as an individual if you think that's more important. There is nothing that is going on in our life. There is no football game, no basketball game, no anything that is going on that should be more important to us. In fact, everything or us going to church should be an excuse to miss everything else in life if necessary. I mean, after all, who do we say the Lord Jesus Christ died for? His bride, his church. So here are some things that we want you to understand. Why 
the church, local church is important. Matthew chapter 16, and I want to set the stage for you here, what is happening. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking with his disciples, and he's asking them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we know that this is where the Catholic Church gets their understanding that Peter was the first pope, and that Jesus gave him the keys to hell and of death and of the church to be able to care for the church as the first, quote, pope. Well, the problem was that there were no popes until around the fourth century. And secondly, Peter was married. We also know that this verse here, if you simply go back and you were to read it in the Greek, this is actually what it is saying. He is saying, I tell you, you are Peter or Petros. This is a small stone or a pebble. And he is saying, I will build my church on this rock. He's referring to himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is not speaking about Peter. He's speaking about himself. In fact, we learn this in 1 Peter chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, where we find that Jesus, or Ephesians chapter 3, where Jesus Christ is the what? What is he called? Cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Peter was a fallible man. There is no way that, that the Lord Jesus Christ would, would have entrusted the care of his precious bride to somebody like Peter or any one of the other apostles. They were simply an under-shepherd. So again, on this rock, on myself, and the word here is actually a boulder. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the first thing that I want you to understand in God's plan for his church is that it is a divine institution. A divine institution. God created three important institutions. What are they? Home or the family? The church? What's that? Government. Those are the three institutions. And if God is the creator of them, who is the one that gets to set the rules for them? God does. Man didn't invent the church. Man didn't invent the family. Man didn't invent government. The church was not an afterthought, but was in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. Its founder was Jesus Christ himself. So it is a divine institution. In other words, it is ordained by God. That means he sets the rules. So we, we can't gather together and think that, well, we'll just make up things as we go. We, we'll, have, we'll have some kind of smoke screens and our smoke pots and, and, we'll, and we'll build a next Sunday. You'll come and we'll have entertainment and, and, and we'll watch the latest and greatest of all of the movies and we'll use them to do a, a sermon series, uh, God in the Marvel Universe. No, we won't. 
We won't be building us. We won't be building a roller coaster on stage. We won't be bringing in a great big a trampoline or 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 uh, a swimming pool or any of those things. What you use to bring people to church is what you will have to keep doing and even greater in order to be able to keep them there. If you want to bring people to church and have an understanding, it, we could fill up this place, have a brand new building, fill it up as well if we were doing what a lot of other churches are doing, and that is entertainment. Now, they have their reward now. The reward that we have, we know from Matthew chapter 7 that narrow is the way that leads to life and there are very few who will find it. It is important for us to remember that. We're not bringing masses and masses of people. In fact, you might say, well, we had Brother Breck here recently. And he was talking about the number of people who have come to faith and the number of people being baptized. That's true, but we're not in a location that has 1.5 billion people. Do you remember how many people he said were in New Delhi alone? Does anybody remember? The largest city in the world right now. At 34 million. Just in New Delhi. Now, we used to live in London. We lived on the outskirts in a suburb of London. And London is about, I don't know, 8 or 9 million people. And that is still way too many people. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be surrounded by 34 million. That's 10% of America's population in an area about the size of Cheyenne. Is that how small it is? Ground size, yeah. Yeah, they are just packed in like sardines. So the church is a divine institution created by God. Secondly, because the church is the pillar and ground of truth. This world desperately needs the truth. It doesn't need man's opinion. It doesn't need anything other than the Word of God. Because it, what we have here in the Word of God, it's either true in its entirety or it's not. If you start cutting out the parts of the Bible that you don't like, what are you going to be left with at the end of the day? I mean, if you get rid of Genesis chapter 1 through 11 so that you get rid of creation, you also get rid of original sin. You also get rid of the reason why Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. In fact, if you have no original sin and you have no separation from God, why did Jesus Christ even have to come? Because then you have to question whether the crucifixion was even real or not. And you end up like Thomas Jefferson did, who rewrote the Bible and he wrote in the New Testament, he wrote his own version of a New Testament. And in that New Testament, he gets to the end and he says, and Jesus died, period, end of story. It's the way Thomas Jefferson translated the New Testament. Only Bible-believing New Testament-based churches even have the truth. And it's not ours to water down, to change, to improve, but it is simply to preach the word. That's it. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He's not speaking about a physical building. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, because if we are members one of another and we are striving together for the purposes of glorifying Christ, I want to encourage you to do something. 
when you see, I don't care if it's my grandson or if it's anybody else, and they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off, we're here where we are fellowshipping together and where we're worshiping, coming together for the purposes of worshiping God, what should we be doing? Encouraging them not to run. Encouraging them not to come up here and jump on the platform. Encouraging them to have respect for one another because what happens if you get an elderly person and that little one comes running through and runs into them and then they fall over? You see, these are things, unfortunately, that most people don't even think about. Now, it's not that we don't want kids to be kids. We love having kids. In fact, that's the reason why we've got a family-integrated church. Family-integrated church simply means that we worship together as a family. I would much rather see the father picking up the hymn book or picking up his Bible and opening it up and holding it down here at pew level so that his kids can watch with him and learn as they follow along. This is why I tell you every Sunday when I preach, take your Bible and turn with me too. I don't care if you, if you struggle to be able to find where it's at because you don't have the books of the Bible memorized. What I do want you to do, though, is to be able to actually open it up. There's nothing better than, than seeing a husband and wife sitting together and opening up the Word of God to be, together. It should be more than just on a Sunday, but it sh- that, that should be a great start. Paul is saying that just as a pillar on firm ground supports a building, so the church supports the truth. Where are people going to go to hear the truth if not in their local church? People should be able to come to our church and know that we stand for the truth, but that they're going to hear that truth in love. We don't have the responsibility, we don't have the right, I should say, to be able to question somebody. If anybody comes through those doors, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what their culture is, what their persuasion is, what language they speak, what their sexual orientation or gender is, we should be welcoming them and saying, You have come to the right place because here we hear the truth of God's word. Now, what you're not going to find is us standing up here and endorsing that person in their lifestyle. We're going to call that lifestyle out. We're going to call that what it is. It's an abomination. But we're also going to stand up here, and if you've been here any length of time, you'll know that I have also spoken against other sins, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it may be. Because they're all wrong before God. And the Bible is clear that if we have sin that we revel in, that we rejoice in, that we're not confessing our sin for, the Bible says that such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, you can't say that you're a Christian if you're not willing to give up the sins that you hold precious. The Bible is very clear about that. I believe that people need to understand that hearing the truth in love, it doesn't matter whether it's relevant or not. That's a word that is tossed around in a lot of churches. Well, our pastor preaches relevant messages. What he should be doing is just preaching the truth regardless of what people think of it. Number three, why is the local church important? Because it is a light in a dark world. 
You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount later on? He says, or in chapter 4 actually, he says, let your light so shine that they will see your good works. They refers to the world and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. And you say, that's a little strange because people who are unbelievers will not be able to glorify. Listen, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, he is still king. He is still Lord. There's nothing that they can do about it. But there are going to be people in your life. It could be family, friends, spouse. It could be whatever or whoever is in your life. And by you striving to live a life of holiness before the Lord Jesus Christ and caring for what he cares for, they will see your good works and they will be brought to the point where they will glorify Christ. That is a promise of Scripture. Paul wrote to the Christians at the church in Philippi, and he says to them to let their light shine in the wicked, crooked, morally corrupt, and sinful world, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to be a light in a sin-cursed world. This world's not getting any better. It's not going to get any better until Jesus Christ returns and establishes his permanent throne on this world. I believe that he will come back physically, visibly, literally, just as he left, Acts chapter 1. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. As the moon reflects the sun, so Christians should reflect the sun, Jesus Christ. What happens in an eclipse? What happens? The moon comes between the earth and the sun, and the moon does what? It blocks the light. It brings darkness, right? Brothers and sisters, it's not any different in your life and mine in the spiritual realm. If you let something that is not light producing into your life that comes between you and the sun, Jesus Christ, your life will also look black. You will not give forth the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what you need to be asking yourself each and every day. Do I point to Jesus or am I pointing away from Jesus? And it's not an easy question sometimes to answer because we can dupe ourselves into believing that we are doing what we should be doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in a lot of things in my own life, first of all. And there are times that I have to seek forgiveness from God or seek forgiveness from my spouse or from my kids or whatever. But, but one of the things that amazes me is how sometimes we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can rejoice in the things that God doesn't rejoice in. Let me give you an example. Every one of you here know the situation with one of my children, with our daughter, Abigail. My daughter is living in open rebellion and sin. She's being enabled with people who she works with, people who claim to know Christ, yet who do not know Christ. And yet she has also posted, she has established accounts like Facebook and things like that online. 
And you know, I, I shouldn't be shocked, but I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I know this is going out on the air, but I am going to say that I am actually shocked that there are some people who should know better, who claim to know the love, who, who claim to know not just the love of Christ, but know what Christ requires from us, who are openly endorsing and supporting my daughter and her sin. And some of them are right here in this church. Now, there is nobody currently here in this room that is a friend with my daughter, so it's not anybody who is here right now. But I want you to understand something. If, if, if you came to me and you said, hey, I'm leaving my wife or I'm leaving my husband and and, and, and I am going on to Facebook and I'm establishing a new account and I've got pictures with, with me and my new huggable beside me. Anybody who is, anybody who goes online and who is liking or loving that picture of you living in open sin against God, they are in sin against God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love people. This is why the church is called to love one another. This is why we're called to be encouraging to one another, but to also remind one another, you and I have a responsibility. And, and, and I have asked you, and we have talked about this. If you see my daughter, if you see my daughter downtown or in a restaurant, you need to be calling her to repentance, just like I am if you're a member here at Yellowstone. And it's the same, and it's true for anybody who has left. Again, Yellowstone may not be for everybody, and I understand that. But what we can't be doing is living in such a way that we are openly saying, I like or I love whatever it is that you're doing without calling them to repentance. You see, if you go online and you actually were to call her to repentance, if you're a friend with her online, you know what she's going to do? She's going to unfriend you immediately and block you. And the same is true with a number of people who have been here at Yellowstone and who have left. Because it was more important for them to love their sin and to love the lack of theology and the lack of discernment that they have in their life and the lack of loving Jesus Christ's bride as he commands us to. And it was more important for them to live that way than it was to make things right with Yellowstone and with the leadership and with you as members. I'm sorry if you don't like that, but that's the truth. You see, because that's what God calls us to. That's what he commands us to, is to not only extend forgiveness, but to ask for forgiveness, to make things right, to be that light to the world. And we can't be light to the world if we are liking and loving the sin that other people are doing and involved in. Number four. The local church is important because it is God's great concern. There are many Christians who aren't concerned about the church. But this is not the case with God. He was so concerned, in fact, that he sent a letter to the churches of Asia in which there was a special message addressed to each one of them. You'll find this in Revelation chapter 2 through chapter 3. Listen to what he says in Revelation 22. I, Jesus, sent mine angel, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And what does John say? He concludes by saying, 
Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves this. It, can we actually say that at the end of a long day, at the end of a tough day, at the beginning of a new week when maybe we don't feel like being here or you don't feel like being here, can we actually look up to the sky and say, even so, come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because I am so tired of this nasty world. I'm so tired of all of the nonsense that is going on. I'm sick and tired of the politics. I'm sick and tired of, of all of the stuff and the sin in my own life and the sin in the lives of others and, and whatever it may be that's going on. Lord, can't you just return for your bride? John was very concerned and and cared about the churches that Paul started and, and had him write to each of them, exhorting them and encouraging them. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. And as we learned last week, he was concerned enough that he would send his only begotten son to die for his church. You know, we've been going through the Beatitudes for a couple of months now on a Sunday morning. They're not suggestions for believers. It's a rule book. It's a guidebook that, 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 demands, that demands something from us more than simply nodding our heads up and down and saying yes. Do you remember the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of? And, and he says, a man had two sons and he tells the one son, he says, go out into my vineyard and do such and such and the young man says, no, I won't do it. And, and he flees and he goes away in rebellion. And eventually he comes back to himself and he repents and he comes back and he actually does what the father commands of him. And then the other one says, yes, I will do that, father. And the Bible says that he never goes and does that. Which one did the will of the father? The first one did. Now, there are times like Jonah that you and I, we, we can be... We can be frustrated, we can, we can choose to, to run away and get on a ship as it were and go to Tarshish and, and flee to the ends of the earth, but God in the end, he will have his way and he will send us where he wants us. We will have to do his will, whether we like it, kicking or screaming. Why? Because God has a great concern for his church. Fifthly, the local church is important because it cannot be separated from Jesus Christ, no matter what. Before his conversion, Paul had been threatening and persecuting the church. What was his testimony? Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my behavior in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and sought to destroy it. But then you go to Acts chapter 8, chapter 9. He's going down the road. He's going to arrest some Christians. He's got a letter from the chief priests and the scribes and he goes and he go, and as he's going down the road, Jesus comes to him and meets him on the road to Damascus. And do you remember what he says, Paul? If you persecute the church, you are persecuting me. You see, if you hurt the bride of Christ, you are hurting Christ. It's the bottom line. You can't say that's just the pastor's problem. 
If somebody is living in open sin, it is not just my problem, it's your problem, regardless of whose relation it is to anybody else in the church. But a lot of times in churches, we want to put our heads in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. And, and, and instead of realizing that Jesus Christ is the head over all things to the church, he's not going to tell one part of the church that this person needs to be under discipline and another part that they're going to, well, we're friends, so therefore we're not going to do anything to that individual. Shame on us. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. When you hurt the body of Christ, you hurt the head. Because Jesus and his church are inseparable. You know, one of the things that we're going to be learning in our class this coming Saturday, we're going to be going over the ordinances, which are baptism and the Lord's table. Why do we do these things? Why, why do we practice baptism? Why do we practice the Lord's table? It's because God gave these ordinances to his local church in order to be able to show to the world around us that this is my bride. When we get baptized, we are standing in the waters. We are representing the death of Christ. We get or the, as he is dying on the cross and then as he died, and we lower that person into the water representing that Jesus Christ was laid in a tomb and we raise them back walking in newness of life. But what about the Lord's table? We come to the Lord's table and the, the apostle Paul even said to the church at Corinth, he says, you, you partake together and yet you're not even on the same page. You know, to me, one of the most special services that we can ever have, and by the way, we're having the Lord's table tonight, Lord willing. To me, it's one of the most special services. And, 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 and if you think that communion is important, you should be here celebrate communion, celebrate the Lord's table because the Lord's table is a represent, representation that we recognize. And when I hold that cup and when I hold that bread and together we partake, what we are saying is I am in agreement with what Jesus did for me. Number six, because of its exceeding worth. The worth of anything is measured by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. Now, there are people who have really expensive animals. When we were in England 20-something years ago, we had a friend, and she had she had bought a ragdoll cat. Anybody know what a ragdoll cat is? Okay, they are... they. I'll be honest, they're one of the few cats that I like because they act like a dog. And I like dogs. And we asked her, we said, well, how much did you pay for this? Now, this was 20-something years ago. And she said, oh, they're about 23 to 2,500 pounds. At that time, the, with the exchange rate, it was actually worth about 3,500 U.S. dollars for a cat. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, $3,500, that might be what I'd be willing to pay for, you know, maybe like an Arabian horse or something like that. But a cat? Seriously? Yeah, whatever. Listen, no cat, no pet, no dog is worth paying that kind of money for. 
Did you know that if our church, if you consider our church to be a biblical church, then it is a very valuable church. God paid a great price for her. And in Acts chapter 20, we find Paul on his last missionary journey. While he's in Miletus, he sends for the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he wants basically to have a preacher's meeting. When they arrive, he gives them a charge to be faithful, and he reminds them of the great price that Christ has paid for them. Take heed, he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I have a solemn responsibility. To me, it is one of the greatest joys that I have in my life to be able to minister the gospel every Sunday. Because this is his bride. This is for his kingdom. This isn't my kingdom. This has nothing to me, nothing to do with me. There's, there's not going to be multiple thrones in heaven. There's going to be one, and Jesus Christ has already taken that throne. To the church at Corinth, he tells them the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, No, do you not know that you have been bought with a price? Do you know why we sometimes share the things that we do? Do you, do you know why we say things like, Lord bless you? It's not because we don't have anything better to say or every blessing or we sign our letters in Christian love and grace because that is the very least that we can extend to one another as a blessing, as a benediction after all that Jesus Christ has done for us. You and I, whether you like it or not, whether you're short, tall, no hair, lots of hair, it doesn't matter what your position is, when we get to heaven, we are all going to share in the blessings of heaven together side by side around the throne of God. There won't be no churches, separate churches. There'll be one church. There won't be no sign over the door. There won't be a section for the Baptist and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Bible churches and the E-free churches. There will be one bride of Christ. Number seven, the local church is important or should be because of its hatred by the world and by Satan. Before his salvation, Paul had a mean and cruel boss who hated Christians, and he was determined to destroy the Lord's church, and so he gave Paul the authorization to be able to go into the churches and destroy them. Satan can and will use anyone to destroy God's church, even those within the church. He will use whatever it takes to try to destroy you and I. Number eight, the local church is important because it is God's ordained institution for the Christian's spiritual growth. I can sit down with an individual over a cup of coffee and I can ask you a couple of questions, and within two or three minutes, I can tell you whether you are starving or not. And it's not because as a pastor, I've got a special level of discernment. It's just that I know that if you 
are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are spending time in his word, you are spending time praying with him, you are spending time with his people in church, you will be growing. You will be able to help yourself. If you have a, if you have a child in your home and, and they, they're born and they always stay about this high and then, and then for five or six years they're here and, and maybe by the time they're about 25 or 26, maybe they're up to here and, and they're still growing, there's something wrong. Because they're not getting proper nutrition. They're not being fed correctly. And it's no different in the Christian church. If, if, if we are following God's plan and God's rules for our lives, we will grow. I've said this before, and I posted a funny little comment on Slack for those of you who saw it. But it was it's two guys, and they're carrying this great big bookcase between them with these great big straps. Anybody see that? Okay, a few of you saw it. And they're carrying with these great big straps, these, these, this entire bookcase of books just for Bible study. And it was kind of funny to me because, you know, when we come together on a Saturday or we come together on a, on a Sunday uh, evening for the doctrinal class, I mean, you should see it if you haven't been here. I mean, people come in, I mean, and, and, and they've got a great big, you know, uh, a book bag or they've got them tucked underneath their arm or, or you know, they're, they're bringing all this stuff. And we spread out across what, 10 tables downstairs, something like that. And some people have laptops and, and some people have their phones out and they're entering notes and information and they got their papers and their books and their Bibles. You know, that's the way it should be. Number nine, quickly, and we're going to wrap this up. Why is the local church important? Because it is a place of fellowship for God's people. We are to have fellowship with the Lord. And then with each other, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 7. And it is good for God's people to have fellowship. Fellowship is companionship, friendliness, comradeship, community of interest, the state or condition of being one of a group, membership, sharing, a group of people having the same tests and tastes and interests. As some person or some people have said, and my dad has said this for years, fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. In other words, you're going the same direction. Are you going in the same direction? If you are, this should be more important to you to be with God's people than it should be anything else that you've got going on in your life. Anything. And I want to say this. I know what it's like to, in the earlier years of our life and in our marriage, there are times when we got out of church, and you know what it did? Caused us to stagnate. Caused us to stop growing. It caused us to stop loving. Finally, the local church is important because it is important to God and He loves it. The greatest reason I believe that the local church should be important to us. From his prison cell in Rome, Paul sent a letter to the church at Ephesus. And again, he reminded them, this is the way we started and we had it last week as well. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. If it's important to him, it should be important to you. It should be important to me. Because whatever God loves is what we should also love. So here's the conclusion this morning, and I've got it there on your sheet. Is our church a biblical church? 
Is our church important to you? Do you love our church? If you do, then its importance will be reflected in your faithfulness, in attendance, in your service, in your living, in your giving, in your praying, and in your going to reach others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for being able to go over this lesson. Why is the local church important? As we looked at from your word, we have a responsibility to love what you love, to fellowship with what you desire us to fellowship with. The world would seek to distract us with so many offerings, and yet it can never compare with the glory of eternity, the glory of being with you forever in heaven. Help us, Father, as we go into the next hour that our hearts would be encouraged as we look at your word and once again go back to the Beatitudes and that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.